your net suits will let you experience Fry's worm-infested bowels as if you were actually wriggling through them. There's no part of that sentence I didn't like. You said you wanted me to kill you. Is this one of those no-means-yes deals? Have you ever dissected a Yeti before? Have you ever encountered a series that was so amazing to you and was so great and so funny that you wondered why didn't it last longer than it did and how what could have happened to it that people shied away from it or that it got canceled and it's kind of it makes you kind of roll your eyes or kind of like shrug your shoulders going I don't know a lot of that has to do with, of course, I wanted to talk about the themes that you heard in the beginning and the characters involved to Futurama. And while The Simpsons is great, I do I do like The Simpsons. It is very funny. Though The Simpsons is still on the air, I often thought that Futurama was the better of the two series. It was much funnier and just much more enjoyable. And so I've wondered what where the characters came from. And I want to do some research from Wikipedia and... Matt Groening's site and other sites and to try and dig up as much as I can and I'm very very curious about that so I'm going to start I'm going to get into the characters and and get into them as much as I can um, I'm going to start with Zoidberg, John A. Zoidberg and voiced of course by Billy West Zoidberg is named after an Apple II game that series writer David X. Cohen created in high school called Zoid similar to the game QIX, or Kicks, or Quicks. The game was rejected by Broderbund, unfortunately. One of Cohen's inspirations for the character of Dr. Zoidberg was the fact that Star Trek character Leonard McCoy, the ship's doctor, frequently administered medical treatments to aliens such as Spock. So Cohen wished human characters in Futurama to be in the uneasy situation of being treated by an alien doctor. During the first season, jokes surrounding Zoidberg usually focused on his poor understanding of human anatomy and his resulting incompetence as a doctor, and the fact that all of his co-workers appeared to hate him. His incompetence is aggravated by the fact that he believes himself to be an expert on human anatomy and will blithely attempt to treat human patients as he would his own species. One of his running traits is his pronunciation of the road robot. He, <clears throat> sorry about that, had a frog in my throat. Oddly that I say frog in my throat, I should have said I had a lobster in my throat. When Zoidberg pronounced, pronunciation of the term robot, pronouncing it robot, or robot. His use of English grammar and idioms resembles the stereotypical aspect of Jewish people living in the northeastern United States and elements of Jewish humor, which the character, the creators of the series and Billy West, Zoidberg's voice, were doing as an homage to what, what made them joy, gave them joy and made them laugh. And of, like I said, and of course, playful rever reversals on it are also a theme. As the series progressed, writers gradually introduced the themes that Zoidberg is also poor, homeless, Friendless, smellyless, smellyless, that would be clean, smelly, undignified, and repulsive. Comically opposite the idea that a doctor stereotypically occupies a respectable, wealthy, and romantically desirable role. 
Regardless of these traits, Zoidberg is good-natured and means well, and will help the crew when the situation calls for it. Zoidberg also generally attempts to make himself look refined, successful, and important in front of others, though this illusion is quickly dashed when it's pointed out. A lot of, of Zoidberg's biography is he becomes the company doctor at Planet Express, although he claims expertise in human medicine, particularly internal medicine. His knowledge of human anatomy and physiology is atrocious. He has been shown as, a, as unable to tell the difference between robots and humans, and we are pronounced that like he does, robots, and humans, or human males and females. He believes food is digested in the heart, and that humans have multiple mouths and a dorsal fin. His only knowledge of humans seems to come from, a te from television advertisements, although his skills as a physician generally vary. In Put Your Head on My Shoulders, he manages to successfully transplant Fry's head onto Amy's body. After Fry's body incurs, incurs massive trauma in a vehicular accident that requires extensive repair. But in Into the Wild Green Yonder, he incorrectly declares Fry dead only for him to wake up a few seconds later. In Bender's Big Score, he perform, performs several limb reattachments to, moder to moderate success. It may be assumed that advances in medical technology have made limb and head reattachment a simple process, as in the previously mentioned Bender's Big Score. Head reattachments is shown to be little more than applying a paste to the area and placing the head back on, kind of like glue, and a process, a process that works even if the head is on backwards, <coughs> as is shown. In Parasites Lost, due to his incompetence as a physician, he comes to the, to the conclusion that Fry, who is frequently injured, is a hypochondriac, an accusation he makes when Fry sits before Zoidberg with a pipe through his chest. He claims to be an MD, but states, unconvincingly, in A Clone of My Own, that he lost his medical degree in a volcano. However, he later states in the in the in the Da Vinci the Da Vinci Code that his doctorate is in art history as opposed to medicine. Other intimations to his dubious medical training include including the episode Teenage Mutant Leadless Hurdles, in which he comments, I'm no doctor, but this machine guy could really use a lozenge. Although he ha he is shown to be incompetent in human medicine, the tip of the, the, the tip of the Zoidberg shows he is a competent doctor for alien species, species such as the Yeti in the episode. Zoidberg's friend and employer, Professor Farnsworth, even saying that he's an expert in alien physiology. There are also frequent mentions throughout the series that he does have a good knowledge of the species. For example, in the episode Why Must I Be a Crustacean in Love, he talks about finrot, which is a disease, which is a disease in real life that affects fish. And I'm not entirely sure. I, I, I'm assuming I can draw from implication from 
from the word usage there exactly what Finrod is. But I'm not entirely sure what it is. And if someone knows, please email it because I'm sure it's kind of gross and I don't want to you know, mention that on the podcast at all. But I'm just kind of curious. Is it, is it as infectious as it sounds? Despite his career as a physician, Zoidberg is repeatedly identified as living in poverty, lonely and desperate for friendship and attention. The crew are often disgusted by his foul habits, such as squirting ink or eating, eating from trash cans. Though he's mostly oblivious to their true feelings about him, having referred to Hermes Conrad and Bender as friends, Hermes seems to have the most intense dislike of Zoidberg, seeing him as even more expendable than the rest of the crew. However, Fry reads Hermes' mind in Into the Wild Green Yonder is when he does that. <clears throat> it is revealed that Hermes sees him as pathetical as pathetical. Hermes sees her okay, take five. Hermes sees him as pathetic but lovable. In the six million dollar bond after Zoidberg recovers from recovers the discarded parts and sews them together to create a full-fledged ventriloquist dummy of Hermes, which he later uses to transplant Hermes' brain out of his robot body and back into his original body. After Hermes thanks him and admits that they have ne had never been friends, Zoidberg callously calls out Hermes for his treatment of him, leaving Hermes impressed with his con with this confrontation. Zoidberg briefly becomes a hero when he saves Earth from enslavement to his own kind. Fry and Professor Farnsworth are usually the only ones to refer to Zoidberg as a friend. And in Bender's big score, Zoidberg says Fry. He was the only one of you who never struck me during the latter's, during the latter's memorial. Zoidberg has, am has ambitions to be a stand-up comedian. But he's entirely unsuccessful at, at this endeavor. In that's lobstertainment, say lobster, his uncle, the silent hologram star Harold Zoidberg, as a parody of Harold Lloyd, advises him to give up on comedy and finance, give up on comedy and finance a film whose script Zoid is writing. The reason that the professor continues to employ Zoidberg as staff physician, because I know you're probably asking, you're probably thinking, why would you continue to employ someone who is medically incompetent, or is or at least this incompetent, kind of makes just about everyone roll their eyes. But, like I just said, the reason the professor continues to employ Zoidberg as the staff physician, despite his apparent incompetence, is revealed in the sixth episode. The professor is under the impression that he had been infected with the, with, with the fatal disease hypermalaria, contracted during a covert quasi-military mission. The professor had asked Zoidberg to promise to kill him when the latent disease manifested itself, and Zoidberg agreed. In that episode, it is also explained that Zoidberg is, in fact, a very competent physician for all other species except humans. Planet Express's main competitor, Mom, or MomCorp, whom Zoidberg knows on a first-name basis as Carol, states that Zoidberg is the best in the business when it comes to alien anatomy. 
at his place at his at his price level. Unlike all of the other characters, Mom addresses Zoidberg with great respect and admiration. Mom tells Zoidberg that he could that he could have been a millionaire with his own research lab if he had worked for her. Mom also asks Zoidberg why he was why he has stayed with Farnsworth through the years. Zoidberg replies that it is because Farnsworth is his friend. When friend or fleeing from danger or trouble, Zoidberg makes a high pitched high pitched whoop sound. Whoop 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 like Curly of the Three Stooges, or squirts ink at his attacker. It is revealed that Zoidberg has always dreamed of becoming a grandmother. A taste of freedom and Futurama Bender's game indicate that Zoidberg harbored a childhood dream of working in show business as a comedian or song and dance man, but that his parents pushed him to become a doctor. Something that Zoidberg had trouble with, something that he eventually became and fell into, but something he wasn't really sure that it was really him, that he really wanted. He is depicted as being ignorant of human customs, and socially inept, to the point of inspiring great aggravation in others. During his stay at the ranch in Amy Wong's, of Amy Wong's parents, he treats them as surrogate parents, to the point of calling them Ma and Pa, despite their obvious distaste for him, and abuses their hospitality until they throw him out. Zoidberg's race, the Decopodians, from, from the sandy beach-like planet Decopod 10, are crustaceans, generally, obviously, lobster-like. With lobster-like claws, mouth tentacles, and a hard exoskeleton. A fleshy, boneless structure, interior, a fin that appears atop their heads during mating season or extreme anger, an ink pouch, two stomachs, one salt water and one fresh water, four hearts, gonopores, a complex system of internal organs, most of which are either redundant or unnecessary. In one of the best episodes I've ever seen, in a great episode, Roswell That Ends Well, he is not phased when one of his hearts is removed by an alien autopsy team of human doctors, saying, Take it. I have four of them. Zoidberg has, has been depicted as, an able, as able to consume things not considered food f by humans, such as fish bones, wood, and chest pieces. Decapodians are able to molt their shell, like lobster, leaving behind a whole, a whole exoskeleton. A trait which Zoidberg has to fake his own death on occasion. Well, a trait which, which Zoidberg has used to fake his own death on occasion. In the episode, Bending in the Wind, Zoidberg produces the dye blue, the, Zoidberg produces the dye blue pearls after consuming large amounts of dirt. Zoidberg also hab habitually eats clothing and once an earth flag. Given that he refers to clothes as food and considers them a kind of delicacy, it may be that Decapodians themselves consume clothes. It is revealed in Mobius Dick, it is revealed that Zoidberg spontaneously grows hair in moments of extreme fright. At one point in all Decapodians' lives, 
they enter a mating phase. That sounds like, I can't think of the word. It sounds like something I had heard before in a Star Trek episode. I don't know what it is. Maybe, oh, maybe it just popped in the head. Maybe it's like Ponfar in in Vulcans. Or maybe it's something similar to that. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just what... This just popped into my head. It's just... it's And it's kind of strong, kind of far-fetched, but that's just what jumped into my head when that occurred. In... In Mobius Dick, when they enter the, the the mating phase, it's called the frenzy, as they call it, which causes them to behave in a neurotic and, man, and manic way. During this chaotic time, their behavior is dictated by a tiny brain, by the tiny brain located in their butts, in their rumps. They also develop in, incredible super strength. Their head fin becomes their head fin comes out for mating displays. Their stink glands increase production and the males become saturated with male jelly as the females become engorged with eggs. In the episode Why Must I Be Be a Crustacean in Love is indicated that once Decapodians mate, they die. Zoidberg was raised by a third figure, placed on equal footing as his biological parents. The episode Teenage Mutant Leela's Hurdles indicates that young Decapodians progress progress through various larval forms, including those resembling crustaceans. Invertebrates, fish, coral, starfish, sea sponges, and clams before reaching their humanoid adult forms. Decapodians progress through various larval forms, including those resembling crustaceans resembling crustaceans, invertebrates, fish, coral, starfish, sea sponges, and clams. All that before reaching their humanoid adult forms. However, in the episode A Taste of Freedom, a young Zoidberg is seen with his typical humanoid form. I just lost my... There it is. I lost my place for a second in my notes and and on Wikipedia, and I just kind of... I was sweeping my eyes over the page trying to get it back and just just jumped right back to me. Dr. Zoidberg is also a skilled theremin player and is the only person ever seen in the series to be good enough to receive a present from Robot Santa. He is honorary. He's an honorary member of the Harlem Globetrotters and a talented hand-to-claw combatant. He severs Fry's arm in an honor duel, and eventually fights and defeats the dangerous robot Clamps. Doctor Zoidberg finally finds happiness in the penultimate episode, Stench and Stenchability. You can guess what? That's a direct rip-on and a direct reference to. When he meets and starts dating a flower merchant named Marianne, who suffers from from anosmia, a n o s m i a, he performs a nose transplant to give her a sense of smell, though he is afraid that once she smells him, she will smell, she will immediately reject him. Serendipitously, Marianne turns out to ar- to abhor the smell of flowers. Instead, performing Zo- instead preferring Zoidberg's aroma, 
she becomes a waste collector and the two continue dating. By the end of the series, Zoidberg has largely corrected his medical blind spot concerning human anatomy, as demonstrated by Marianne's transplant and his earlier complete reassembling of Hermes' body from cast-off parts. In Season 10, Episode 12, Zoidberg meets his girlfriend of four years, Zindi. For the first time, Zoidberg buys her flowers when he meets her at a bus station and she is immediately repulsed by Zoidberg's stench. After attempting to return the flowers, the flower stand owner, which you've just heard, Marianne, is, is mugged by Roberto un- unsuccessfully thanks to Zoidberg's stench. Marianne and Zoidberg eventually fall, in- fall into a relationship. There is a lot about the series... And a lot about, and I'm going to see if I can find other characters and see if I can give you a little bit more of background on some of the other characters. That uh, Billy West did. Billy West did a lot of a lot of voices and a lot of characters. Um, I know this isn't very interesting. Kind of, kind of. Um, bear with me here. I'm kind of typing and. I didn't write down all the. Oh man, I, oh man, yeah, I, I, I didn't um, write down all the characters, so I kind of have to go back and work with Google as I'm trying to, as I'm trying to get it to behave, which you know this is Google, it's not going to behave, so <laughs> that's just that's just the way it works. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to see if it can, if it can um, come up with a listing here. Ah, there we go. Okay, I got. It. I finally got to the page that I wanted to get it to. Uh, Philip J. Fry, Taranga Leela, yeah, Bender, who's no one, most people don't know, but it's mentioned in the series and it's said a few times. Bender's full name is Bender Bending Rodriguez. And a lot of there's a, there's a lot of interesting things about Bender. A lot of curious background. I'm gonna let's touch on. I was gonna touch on Farnsworth, but we'll we'll bring up Bender and go into Bender a little bit here. Tune in for a little bit more because a little bit more. I'm gonna go a little bit more on the other characters. I know primarily most of this episode has just been Zoidberg and Bender, and I may not get through all of Bender here, but I'm gonna do my do the best I can. Bender. A high-tech industrial metalworking robot was built in 2996 at Fabrica Robotica de la Madre, a a manufacturing facility of Mom's Friendly Robot Company in Tijuana, Mexico. However, the story of its construction remained a mystery, although different creation processes have been shown. David X. Cohen has stated that the viewer has only that the viewer has only been shown Bender emerging from the machine that created him, while what happened inside the machine is not yet been revealed. According to one version, suggested by Hermes, and also by a reverse aging process shown in the episode Teenage Mutant Leela's Hurdles. A newborn bender possessed a baby-like body. In Benless Love, however, 
Bender is portrayed with a normal adult-sized body in a flashback sequence conveying his memory of coming to an exist coming into an existence. As Bender's memory contains an adult form, the episode's content suggests that the character might actually be recalling transferring to an adult body rather than the moment of creation. Unlike most other robots, Bender is mortal and, according to Professor Farnsworth's calculations, may have less than one billion years to live. Because of a manufacturing error that left Bender without a backup unit, Bender's memory cannot be transferred or uploaded into another robot body. After reporting that defect to his manufacturer, Bender barely escapes death from a guided missile and a robot death squad dispatched by Mom in order to eliminate him and effectively take the defective product off the market. At the factory, Bender was programmed to, for cold bending structured steel. Bender later attended Mars University, where, the, where he majored in bending and minored in robot American studies, in robo American studies. At the university, he was a member of Epsilon Rho Rho, E-R-R, er, a robot fraternity where he became something of a, fr of a fraternity hero for his many shenanigans. One night, he chugged an entire keg of beer, streaked across campus, and stuffed 58 people into a telephone booth. Although, he concedes they are mostly children. Before meeting Fry and Leela and joining Planet Express, Bender had a job at the metalwork, metalwork factory bending steel girders for the construction of suicide booths. Bender has an apartment in the Robot Arms Apartments building, where he eventually invites his best friend and Fry, co-worker Fry to live with him. Although the pair enjoy living together, Bender is sometimes portrayed as manipulating his guileless friend in the series' early episodes. Bender is shown preferring to, the, to occupy smaller areas of their apartment, like the closet, referring to them as cozy, although in later episodes he is shown to have his own individual bedroom, like Fry. Throughout the series, he enters many romantic relationships of varying duration, and is commonly referred to as a womanizer by his friends. He does not seem to discriminate between human women and their robot or fembot counterparts, and is shown actively pursuing both. Likewise, his taste in fembot partners does not seem to be affected by the fembot's height or weight. And, is sh and he is shown numerous times chasing both fembots of all builds. In Proposition Infinity, Bender's secret affair with, a, with co-worker Amy leads to, leads to a referendum that, once approved, legalizes robosexuality. In The Bots and the Bees, he, he has a sexual encounter with a fembot soda vending machine, that, I remember that episode, that leads to almost instantaneous birth of a son whom he names Ben after the most after the first part of his own name and I feel a sneeze coming on it's like you know how it is when you want to sneeze but the sneeze at the back of your nose and here it comes
there's going to be more. So I'm going to have to pause right in the middle of the recording here and move the mic away from my mouth and the sneeze. Now that you just heard that sneeze, it's going to come back again, but it's not going to sneak. It's going to be bam right there. And or maybe it's going to sneak. Here it comes. I can feel it. <coughs> Sorry, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me, even though you got your ears blasted out by that. I apologize. Strongly apologize. Professor Farnsworth describes Bender to be to be constructed of an alloy of iron and osmium. Bender has magnets. As magnets interfere... Bender doesn't have magnets. Bender hates magnets. As magnets interfere with, with his inhibition unit, causing him to uncontrollably start singing folk songs when they're near his head, and also causing him to reveal his secret ambition to be a folk singer. He is once, he is once able to attach a magnetic small faux beard underneath his mouth without breaking into song. Bender has also has a near pathological fear of electric can openers. All this is just very, very, very interesting. And he's actually in the character... I didn't mention John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio is actually Bender's voice. And it's interesting that the name Bender was actually chosen by, by Matt Groening as an homage to John Bender, Judd, a Judd Nelson character in The Breakfast Club. In that film, John Bender told Principal Vernon, Eat my shorts which is Bart Simpson's, the eventual catchphrase for, for Bart Simpson. Bender's visual design went through multiple changes before reaching its final state. One of the decisions which Groening found to be particularly difficult was whether Bender's head should be square or round. Initially, he worked under the idea that all robots would have square heads in the year 3000. However, it was later decided that Bender's head should be round, a visual play on the idea that Bender is a round peg in a square hole. There's a lot of stuff that this that is extremely, extremely entertaining and extremely interesting. There's a lot more on John DiMaggio and Bender, and of course, then there's then there's Fry and Leela and Amy and the Professor that I kind of want to get into, and I kind of want to go along then touch a little bit more on that. It's it's there's a lot of this really cool series, and this series has been so wonderful, and so amazing, and like I said at the beginning, there are times where it's just so funny, and I wonder why it has where la- it why it lasted is didn't last longer than it. Than it did. It's, it was such a funny show, really hysterical and really funny. And I'm going to do a few more episodes on the individual characters, on the other characters and the other stories behind them and what brought them along. But thank you all for sticking along with me as long as you have. Thank you, thank you for sticking around. Hang on for a little bit more on the end here. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. 
give them a five-star review, head on over to YouTube, look up Fantastic Studios, give them a five-star review, and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. Want to check out the greatest storytelling podcast out there? Want to ride to Hogwarts with Hagrid? Check out Common Room Talk on all the major podcast platforms. Tony tells you a story that will pull you in. You will be impressed and you will love it all the time. Want to go to Vegas? Visit the best places all around the strip and all around downtown or all around the surrounding areas check out the best vlogs for vegas anywhere on youtube at brar frederick over on youtube b-r-o-r frederick f-r-e-d-r-i-k over on youtube go over to brar frederick subscribe to his channel click that bell icon click that hit those those like those like up thumbs Give, give Brar a follow. Give Brar a look. You'll really love what you're seeing. He's an awesome streamer. The best Vegas streamer. And the best thing to watch while you're in Vegas, before you go to Vegas, just to experience Vegas as a whole. <laughs>